Man, Dwight wasn't kidding about uh, taking the opportunity to preach. <laughs> but the good news for you guys is that he took about two pages worth of my notes, so we're still going to go over those. But um, now you're familiar with the material. <laughs> Man, communion is such a special, special thing that we can do as Christians. Um, especially as American Christians, I feel like we have a tendency to get so busy and so caught up in the day-to-day urgent things that we don't actually take the time to sit and dwell on the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, became human and died so that you could live. And not just live the rest of your life, but to live eternally next to the Father and in the presence of Jesus in eternal joy forever. It's amazing, and we can sit and we can dwell on that and we can thank him for it when we come to the communion table. One of the things that blows me away about this, though, is when we think about Jesus on the last night before his death, like John 13 to 16, uh, even 17, is just a ridiculous section, absolutely ridiculous. Jesus is fully aware about the fact that he is going to die. John 13 tells us that he knows that Judas, when he goes out, he knows what he's doing. He knows what Judas is going to do. He knows that his time has come. And yet, from 13 to 16, he spends his entire last couple hours before he's dragged off looking for the benefit of his disciples teaching them and preparing them for the time that he's going to go and be gone for a while. Jesus sets up this example by, by encouraging other people, even in his greatest time of distress. And then we get to John 17. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, we, we get some uh, parallel passages showing that he's actually sweating drops of blood because of how stressed He is. He was in great distress knowing that his hour had come, knowing that he had to take the cup that God had prepared for him, the cup of wrath that you and I deserved. And in John's account, he's praying for us. He spends a couple sentences saying, glorify me just as I was before. And then the rest of the chapter, he is praying for his disciples, and he's praying for those that would believe on the disciples' account. That's you and me. And it's mind-blowing to think of that kind of selflessness. And that's the kind of love that Jesus then commanded of us. Love one another as I have loved you. And that just it blows my mind. Absolutely blows my mind. And it makes me so grateful that we get to come and that we get to partake of this. So thank you, church, for, for doing that with us. Uh, man, this isn't even part of the sermon. <laughs> The other thing that strikes me about the the night before Jesus died is when he's talking about the Holy Spirit, um, and he's talking about the idea of the vine. He, He tells his disciples, these guys who have been with Jesus for three years, they went to Jesus Seminary. I like New Covenant School of Theology, but if I had to choose, I probably would have chosen Jesus Seminary. And, and they know what they need to teach. And he tells them, apart from me, you can do nothing. And that terrifies me, that, that, that phrase 
haunts me when I get up here to teach because I am scared of wasting your time and wasting my time. So thank you, Dwight, for praying for me, but would you, would you join me in prayer one more time before we, we get into the sermon today? Would you pray for me? Would you pray for yourselves that the Holy Spirit would come and actually accomplish something among us and that we wouldn't just be wasting our time? So Father, thank you for this glorious gospel that uh, is the cause for us to gather together. Thank you for sending your son. And Lord, thank you for your word and the richness of it. Thank you that we can come and we can understand it. And Lord, thank you for gifting me in this way. Lord, I pray that this time would not be uh, filled with my thoughts, but rather with your words. Uh, would you send your spirit to empower me that I might speak your words today and that your church might be built. Jesus, you promised that you would build your church. I'm asking you to do that now through me. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So before we really get into the body of the text, pun definitely not intended, um, I want to read you a couple of verses from a really old hymn. I love your church, O Lord, her saints before you stand, dear as the apple of your eye engraven on your hand. Beyond my highest joy, I prize her heavenly ways, her sweet communion, her solemn vows, and her hymns of love and praise. Do these words make you uncomfortable? I tried for probably about a solid hour looking for a more modern hymn or um, more contemporary song that captured the same idea, I love your church, O oh Lord. An entire hymn written about the love of the church? I couldn't find one. If you guys know of one, you come and you let me know. But I couldn't find one. And it's interesting. I, I came upon this hymn the first time uh, right before coming to Frack. And the words made me very uncomfortable. <laughs> very uncomfortable. Because when we praise, we should be praising God because of Jesus, right? That's like, that, that should be it. And then I thought about the church, and the churches that I had been a part of were full of, well, sinners. <laughs> a lot like us. <laughs> and I just didn't understand how this hymnist could write down words like this, praising God for the church. I didn't get it at all. That was before I came to Frack. And it bothered me, and it stuck with me, and so I started thinking on it and dwelling on it as I started observing you guys. And having now been at Frack for so long, I realized that those sinners includes me. <laughs> and being around you guys, I see my own glaring weaknesses. I see where I desperately fall short in the Christian life. And I see where you guys shine forth and have gifts that I don't, and things that I wish I had. Um, and really what it came down to is that I realized the more that I'm maturing in Christ, the more that I've been around Christians that actually love one another, the more I realize that I need you. I don't say that lightly. I need you guys. And similarly, so you need each other. And you need people like me. I mean, Doug needs a break every now and then, and you need to be reminded what a good preacher he is. Uh, <laughs> actually starting the sermon when he gets up here. Um, <laughs> But man, what this produced in me is a, a, just a profound realization of what the church is for. And, and just recently, as I've been preparing for this sermon, I revisited this hymn 
And I have no idea how it sounds. I've only read the words. But I can read them now and I can, I can feel a little bit of the joy that he's, he's talking about. Beyond my highest joy, I prize her heavenly ways because I've seen your heavenly ways, church. I've seen what you can be and I've seen what we are supposed to be and I thank you for that. And it, what it's taught me as I've been around you more is that the body is actually a really, really helpful imagery for what the church is supposed to be like. And I didn't understand what it was to be a part of the body before. So that's what we're gonna talk about today. We're going to look at what the Bible teaches as far as us being the body of Christ. So would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're gonna start in verse 12. People uh, generally associate this chapter with spiritual gifts, and that's good because that's a large chunk of what it's about. That's the difficult section, and I thought that Dwight was preaching on that next week, so we're just not gonna touch on that. And neither is Dwight, apparently, so good luck figuring it out. Um, But instead, (laughs) we're gonna talk about the, the how it's supposed to look, okay? So read with me, starting in verse 12, we're gonna read down to verse 14. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of of, uh, one, but of many members. Basic concept here. Through Christ's sacrifice, we have been united to Christ, and we talk about that a lot, and it's a beautiful thing. Part of what that means is that we've been united to one another. We are the body of Christ, and we are diverse. We have different skill sets. We have different giftings. We all look different. We all talk different. We all have things that are different to bring to the table, and yet we are unified in Christ, just like a body. There's lots of different parts to the body. All of them are different, but it's all one body. Have you ever noticed that the, uh, the mindset of Western Christianity, especially in America, is very individualized? Um, part of the reason that I didn't understand what it was to be part of the body of Christ is because we didn't talk about that at the churches that I had come from. We talked about your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's important. I don't want to discount that. The, the individuality of salvation is an incredibly important aspect to it. You, as an individual, must repent and believe in Jesus. That is true. Your Christian life is about your personal relationship with Jesus. But the Bible doesn't spend hardly any time focusing on the individual aspect when it gives metaphors. It talks about the group aspect, which is different. It's different than what we tend to think. Uh, we see things like the, the body. We see things like you are the temple church, the end times temple. And there's a sense in which you're the temple individually, but we together are living stones being built into a temple of God. And it, there's, there's more, there's more. We are a nation of priests. We are a, a holy priesthood for the rest of the world. And I could go on, but you get the idea. There's a lot of group ideas when the Bible describes what the Christians are, what the church is. And and there's a really important aspect to this group. 
we understand that a temple could probably stand without one stone, but I mean the structural integrity would be in question. And a body can function pretty okay without some of its parts, but it's much better when all of the parts are together and functioning. And a nation would be okay without some individuals, but maybe those individuals were in key places. And so as we, as we talk about this, we need to keep it in our mind that the impetus that Paul has here is that we are a part of a whole. Yes, you are an individual, that is good. You are a body part, but you are part of the body. So let's read on. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged members in it that each one of them as he chose. <coughs> Excuse me. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts and yet one body. Have you guys been guilty of that before? I know I have. The, the whole concept of the, the foot saying, well, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. Have you seen other people that are gifted in ways that you wish you were and then looked and questioned your salvation? Because I'm not like that. I know I have. Um, and I've got a couple examples. So, one example in particular. Um, early on when we came to Frack, we invited a family over for dinner. And it was just clear that they were loving us. Uh, and it was hard because I wanted to try and love them, but they just didn't give us opportunity to. They were so humble. <laughs> I feel like I didn't learn anything about them that night. And, and as we finished our meal and we were still talking, the wife gets up, collects our dishes, not my wife, the, the wife of the couple we were having over, and she starts washing them in my house. <laughs> what humility. And it was wonderful. And I tried to get her to stop, and she wouldn't stop. She just kept doing it. She wouldn't let me push her out of the way and be like, hey, let me do those dishes. Those are my dishes. No, she just, she's like, yeah, let me serve you. It's good. And I was amazed. I was absolutely amazed. And later that night, I stopped and thought, man, if I don't serve like that, can I even really say I'm a Christian? If I don't have that kind of humility, can I really say I'm a Christian? A little bit later, I had an interaction with a different family here at church, and I was starting to tell them about some of the struggles that Jennifer and I were going through. And they stopped in the hallway and prayed with me. It was like a knee-jerk reaction. They had so much faith that God was the only one that could solve this issue for me. We just prayed out in the hallway. We didn't, it wasn't like, I'll pray for you later. It was just a knee-jerk reaction. I'm going to pray for you. And she had so much faith that she just stopped and prayed. And it was wonderful. It was amazing. And later that day, I looked back and said, wow, I don't have faith that strong. Prayer isn't my knee-jerk reaction. Am I even really a Christian? And I could go on because there are plenty of examples. But hopefully you're getting the idea. I was a foot saying, because I'm not a hand, am I really a Christian? That's foolish. And maybe you've done the same. Maybe you've seen some giftings 
around here. Maybe you've seen some people serving and loving one another around here in a way that you wish you could. And you've stopped and said, am I really part of the body? Don't be a fool. It's, it's, it's foolish, really. Because again, we get the picture of a body. Every part has its purpose. I tried really hard um, as I was reading and I was studying this to figure out a better paraphrase, to figure out a way that I could communicate this more clearly. And I, I just, I couldn't other than what another man had wrote. So I apologize on the front end, but this next bit is gonna be from the Message Bible because it, it just, it works. So, here we go. <laughs> But I also want you to think of how this keeps your significance from getting blown up into self-importance. For no matter how significant you are, it is only because of what you are a part of. An enormous eye or a gigantic hand wouldn't be a body, but a monster. <laughs> what we have is one body with many parts, each its proper size and in its proper place. No part is important on its own. <laughs> now, it's, it's silly. Right. That wouldn't be a body, but a monster. <laughs> but it gets the point across. If we were all preachers, then that would not be very good. <laughs> We'd spend a lot of time talking. I mean, it was enough for you guys to have two preachers this morning. <laughs> if we were all particularly gifted in music, then maybe that it would, it would be a wonderful service. And maybe we would all leave feeling closer to God, but maybe we wouldn't have learned anything. If we were all gifted in serving, if we were all gifted in humility, if we were all gifted in faith, I could go on down the line, it wouldn't be the body. We need each part. And so definitely don't think less of your portion. Whatever your body heart maybe, whatever your function in the body is, don't think less of it just because it's not somebody else. Similarly so, don't think more of yourself and less of others because you have a gifting that you know how it's supposed to work and where it works. As we keep reading, um, we're in 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the hand, or the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts don't require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. You as an eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. And, and just like the idea of saying, well, because I don't have this gifting, I don't belong to the body. That's foolish. It's also foolish for you to say, well, you don't have the same kind of gifting I do. I don't need you around. It's foolish. God is the one who has put this body together. God is the one who has assembled the church and gifted each person individually and set them in their proper place. God has done that and God has said, you are necessary. You are needed, you are 
this part for this reason. Now, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know exactly what Paul's trying to get across uh, with all of this unpresentable parts portion, so I'm not going to try to explain that, but I think I get the overall idea. There are parts of the body that we don't talk about very often, and for good reason, and we're still not going to talk about them, <laughs> because they need greater modesty. <laughs> there are parts of the body that we don't think of as very important until they start hurting. You ever stubbed your toe in the middle of the night? Even worse, the pinky toe? You don't think about how important your pinky toe is until it's throbbing and you're just trying to go to the bathroom and now you're stumbling and falling into bookcases. Is this just me? Okay, it's just me. Great. <laughs> but you get the idea. There are portions of the body that seem insignificant but are actually incredibly significant. Uh, I just learned recently that the appendix actually has a function. Yeah, apparently you can eat bark if you have your appendix, like tree bark because that's useful, I guess, but it has a purpose. <laughs> and those of you that have had your appendix removed, you better not go gnawing on any trees. <laughs> but you get the mindset. We don't think about the appendix as important, and you know, for those of us that don't particularly like tree bark, okay, it's not that important, but it has a purpose. There's a reason that it's there. The rest of your body, the pinky toe, it, there's a reason that it's there. It brings balance. Uh, there's a reason that some of these things that are less presentable, that are less honorable, that we think are less than necessary, there's a reason that they're there. Jesus taught that in the kingdom of God, that if you want to be first in the kingdom of God, you must make yourself a servant of all and that the last shall be made first. Which means, those of you that know your gifting and think of it as, hmm, maybe it's not that important, maybe, maybe it's not gonna be seen, maybe it's not ever gonna get you up on a stage where everybody's looking at you and make you uncomfortable. Maybe you think it's less valuable. In Jesus' economy, you are indispensable. He has bestowed greater honor on you, and the last shall be made first. And those that are humbled, he will exalt. That's pretty cool. In that sense, I am jealous of you guys that have that kind of gifting. Because I probably will get a lower place in heaven than you. <laughs> and that's fine. We're both going to be there. But you get the idea. It's, it's all necessary, and things are valuable that we don't necessarily think of as valuable, because it's God's body. He's the one who thinks of it as valuable. Now, we've caught the general picture of the body, and we've talked about gifts in hints a couple of times already. I think it's probably time that we dive into that a little bit more. We're not going to go back and look at 1 Corinthians 12, though. Keep your finger here. We're going to flip over to 1 Peter chapter 4, because 1 Peter's version of the gifts is easier. <laughs> We're going to start in verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the very oracles of God, 
And whoever serves as one who serves in the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I like this passage a lot better than 1 Corinthians 12 because it makes things simple. Have you ever taken a, a spiritual gifts inventory? Just quick show of hands, I'm just I'm curious. Okay, the vast majority of us. Um, I think that those can be helpful, but I also think they're kind of hilarious. You never see on them, have you ever spoken in a language that you never took the time to learn? That you might have the gift of tongues. <laughs> Do your prayers sometimes miraculously heal people? That you might have the gift of healing. Like, you don't see those. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't be. So, <clears throat> anyway. Um, <laughs> I find this to be a little bit more helpful. When we look at Paul's lists, you notice that they don't match up. Paul's not trying to give an exhaustive list. He's just trying to give examples of some ways that the Holy Spirit supernaturally gifts people to, to serve in the body. Um, and so we get all hung up on, well, what exactly is tongues? What exactly is the difference between a word of knowledge and a word of understanding or a word of wisdom? Like, that, that's not his point. His point was just to give a variety to help you understand the diversity within the body. What I find helpful about Peter is that he gives us a really simple spiritual gifts inventory test. He splits it down into two categories. And I find this personally helpful because I don't know how to pigeonhole my particular gift set. It seems to me that we're all uniquely gifted. We kind of get gift bundles and maybe they don't fit into the clean titles that are in Paul's list. I know that my particular bundle fits under speaking gifts. So that's why I think this is helpful. That's why we're going through it. Let's start by focusing on the speaking gifts because that's what comes first. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as God's, uh, sorry, good steward of God's varied grace. Now whoever speaks is to speak as one who speaks the very oracles of God. If you have a speaking gift today, you are commanded here by Peter to speak as though you are speaking God's words. Exercise your speaking gift as though it is God speaking directly through you. That's intimidating. That's part of the reason I'm so scared of preaching. What a weighty task. And just to be clear, speaking gifts aren't only limited to preaching. If you use your words to build up other Christians, you probably have a speaking gift. Some of you are incredibly gifted at counseling. You have a speaking gift. Some of you are incredibly gifted at gently rebuking somebody and calling them to repentance, and I envy you. <laughs> you have a speaking gift. and on and on. Some of you have the gift of encouragement, and that is an incredibly necessary gift. You have a speaking gift. And to, the, the, uh, on and on. If you use your mouth and your words to serve the body of Christ, you have a speaking gift. Now to you, Peter has commanded, speak as though you are speaking the words of God. Now unless you have the gift of prophecy and you are 100% certain that God is legitimately speaking through you. That means that you really, really, really need to know what God says, right? You have to be steeping in the word. You have to understand what God says about any particular set of uh, things that you can encounter. 
I really had to know these passages before getting up to speak to you. And if you're counseling somebody against a particular sin, you should really know what God says about that sin. And maybe you don't feel as though you're gifted to, to read and study like that. But if you have a speaking gift, you need to. <laughs> Ask the Spirit. He will teach you. Get in the Word. Spend time studying it so that you can obey and speak as though you're speaking the very oracles of God. Maybe some of you are like me, not in the sense of being gifted as a preacher, but in the sense that you are scared of your speaking gift. Maybe there are some of you who know that you have a speaking gift and for whatever reason choose not to use it. Um, just a little bit of my story. When I was 17-ish, uh, 16, 17, somewhere in that range, uh, is when I became convinced that God wanted me to go on the path towards pastoral ministry. And I said no, because I'm terrified of public speaking. I still hate public speaking. Uh, I've come to love preaching, but I, oh, if it's anything besides God's word, I don't want to be the center of attention. And it was, uh, it was a couple of months where I went back and forth with God. And through dreams and through the church, he was calling me to serve. He was calling me to use giftings. And I said no, and I said no, and I said no. And eventually he won. I'll tell you the story some other time. But he, uh, he has longer arms than me. <laughs> My arms are too short to box with God. And, I, and for you guys that might be hiding your spiritual gift of speaking, do you really have a good enough reason? Do you feel the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart that you need to start using this? Trust me. <laughs> Your arms are too short to box with God. Give in. Use your gift. Be the part of the body part, or be the body part that God has called you and made you to be. There is no greater joy than to trust and obey Jesus. So I'm going to leave those of you that have speaking gifts with that. But then we also have this other section, this other broad brush of those of you that have serving gift. Um, so let's keep reading. Like halfway through verse 11. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. There is a very good chance that if you don't have a speaking gift, and you're absolutely certain of that, you have a serving gift. Go figure. So what that would include is people that like musicians, um, people that serve in the back over there. Everybody clap for Matt Darrett. Thank you, sir. You're the best. <laughs> um, that would include our ushers. That would include uh, the nursery workers. That would include people that help Todd move the chairs whenever we have to clear out this room for whatever reason. Um, that would include the people over at East that wake up early every Sunday morning to go and get the gym set up. This would include people that make food. And again, I could go on down the list. I think uh, serving gifts probably have a broader scope than speaking gifts. You have a command from God. You are to serve, you are to exercise your gift in the strength that God provides. Which is a little bit weird. And, and some of you might be thinking, okay Dan, I see why you think you need to be scared of preaching. And I see why you need to pray that the Holy Spirit empower you in your task. Because you're right, that is scary. But do I really need supernatural ability to stack chairs? Do I really need the power of God 
to wipe down tables after the visitor lunch? Do I really need God's supernatural help in order to make meals? I mean, I'm, I'm pretty good at it as is. Do I really need that? You do if you're going to do it for the next 10 years, for the next 30 years, next 60, 70. I have not heard this around here, and praise God for that. But I've heard it in many other Christian circles, especially from people who have been serving for 40 plus years. Let the young people do it. I did my time. I gave enough to the church. Let them do it. And don't get me wrong, there is grace and goodness in giving somebody else an opportunity to serve in an area that you know you're gifted. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people that get bitter because they exercised their gift in their own strength. I'm talking about people that hate the church and are only around because they know that that's kind of sort of what Jesus wants. And you don't get there overnight. You don't get there from one weekend or two, not serving in the strength that God provides. You get there from years and years of serving, looking for people to recognize you. Years and years of serving, looking to be praised for all the good work that you've done. And we should praise the people that serve. We should, as you guys pick up your children, and I'm going to after the service as well, my son was crying when I came up here, so I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna thank them for serving, and I'm gonna thank them for giving us uh, the ability to focus in service, because it's wonderful. They are serving you guys. Go thank them, not right now, but when you go pick up your kid, go thank them. But is that the reason that we serve? Do we serve for recognition? Do we serve to stroke our own ego, to try and make us feel good about ourselves? If you do that, friends, for the next 20 years, next 50 years, next 70 years, you'll get bitter. The only way that you can serve in a way that is actually glorifying to Jesus is by doing it through the strength that God provides. And so I encourage you, if you have a, a, a serving gift, next time you're getting ready to serve, Ask God for strength. Ask God, let me lean into you as my power source for this task. I know it's just stacking chairs, and it seems silly to ask for help, but I'm supposed to do this in the strength that you provided. Would you help me? Lord, I know this song by heart. I've played it a thousand times, but I need the strength that you provide. Lord, would you help me? Would you empower me? And what this produces is a very different effect. When you're doing this in the strength that God provides, it produces some of the people that have been around here. My favorite of which, I'm not gonna embarrass him because that's, that's silly, but one older gentleman in this congregation once told me his life story and it was wonderful to hear. And when he talked about his 20s to his 50s, it was full of longing. When he looked back at those times, he said, man, those were the best times. And as he continued his story, he became unable to serve like he used to. And as he's talking about that, you can see his heart is breaking because he wants to serve. 
He wants to do the things that he used to do and he can't anymore. And at the end of the story, he looks back and he says, the only regret that I have is that I did not give more of myself. With a smile on his face and tears in his eyes, he's looking back at the best years of his life saying, if only I had given more of myself. That's incredible. That is so different, so far removed than let the young people do it, I did my time. If you have a serving gift, and if you want to look back at the years where you are able to use your serving gift with joy and with longing, you need to do it in the strength that God provides. Now there is a overtone to this that I intentionally skipped over. Um, So let's look back at the beginning of verse 10. As each has received a gift. That's an assumption. I know we're not supposed to make assumptions, but Peter was an apostle, so I guess it's okay. You, Christian, have a gift. This is not up for dispute. It's an assumption that Peter makes. As each has received a gift. And I just want to emphasize this a little bit more because some of you don't believe me. Each and every one of you, if you are a Christian today, has been uniquely empowered by the Spirit. You have a gift. You have a part in this body and you have a function, even if you're the appendix. The next line is a little convicting. (laughs) As each has received a gift, use it. For those of you that have the uh, NASB, I think it says employ it. Uh, That's not strong enough. This is a command. Use it. It's in the imperative form. You must do it. Use it. If you have a speaking gift, use it. If you have a serving gift, use it. This is not optional. Can you imagine if part of your body decided to take a break for the day? (laughs) Like all of a sudden, my left foot's just like, ah. I'm just not gonna be a foot today, I'm done. That would be awful, (laughs) it would be really awful. I wouldn't be able to walk around. Like my body would lose functionality. I I wouldn't be able to consider myself healthy anymore. Similarly so, you church, if you, as a body part, are just gonna, eh, not gonna use my gift, then the whole body suffers. You see that? That's the imagery that Paul uses and it was on purpose. God gave him this imagery. This is inspired text. You are a body part. You are needed for the body to be healthy. We often talk about the body of Christ as a capital C church, but here at FRAC, we are a local expression of it. And here at FRAC, we are individually gifted to help one another. We are an expression of the body of Christ. You are needed. Use your gift. You must do it. It's imperative, it's a command. You must. (laughs) And there's one other overtone that I intentionally skipped. Let's look at the end. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. You glorify Christ when you use your gift in love. When you use your body partness to build up the rest of the body, that is how Christ is glorified. 
This isn't the first time I've mentioned it. It won't be the last time I mention it from the pulpit. Romans 12 is an incredible chapter. And next time I preach, I think I'm just going to do Romans 12. Um, That's one of the places where we get a list from Paul about spiritual gifts. But immediately before that, at the beginning of Romans 12, he says, sacrifice yourselves as a living offering, which is your reasonable act of worship. Giving of yourself is your reasonable act of worship. And that's all fine and dandy. If we strip it from its context, we can make that mean a lot of things. But if we keep it in its context, what immediately follows is a discussion about spiritual gifts. What immediately follows is a succession of commands about how we are to love one another within the church. You can worship Jesus. I I would even say primarily worship Jesus by how you love one another by how you as a body part fulfill your function. Remember that we are the church, we are the body of Christ, but we are the body of Christ. Jesus is our head, right? If we're gonna take the imagery just a little bit further, Jesus is our head. My head is what is pleased when the rest of the body is working. My head is what is disparaged when my pinky toe gets stubbed in the middle of the night. If part of my body is hurting, it is my head that feels it. And then the whole body feels it because of it. Dwight mentioned it earlier. One of the ways that Jesus talks about judgment day, final judgment, is what did you do to my people? Those of you that are sheep, enter into my glory for, here's the reason you get to, When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. And when I was naked, you clothed me. When did we see you naked? When did we see you hungry or thirsty? I tell you, truly, as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. How you treat the church is how you treat Jesus. That's not a big leap of logic. That's that's straight from the text. (laughs) And then to those that are going to eternal punishment, he says, depart from me, for when I was naked, you did not clothe me. When I was hungry, you did not feed me. And when I was thirsty, you gave me nothing. And they ask the same question. When did we see you like that? He says, I tell you, in the same way that you didn't do it to the least of these, my brethren, you didn't do it to me. Depart into eternal fire. That's hardcore. That's intense. It is a big deal that we love one another. It is a big deal that you exercise your gift. This is the reason that God did not immediately rapture you upon your salvation. He left you for a purpose. He saved you for a purpose. He empowered you through the Holy Spirit for a purpose. And when you love one another, you worship and glorify Jesus. And that's what it's all about, right? There's one other reason, uh, one other thing that I skipped over. Um, Not so much from Peter, although a little bit. Um, Yeah, we'll we'll just start with Peter. If we we just go a couple verses before, staying in the context, 
looking at verse 7, because that kind of goes in hand with what we were just talking about. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Now, above all, that means pay attention. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And then he tells you how. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. It's all in the same context. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Here's how. Be hospitable, use your gifts. Now let's flip back over to uh, 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to start in verse 27. We're going to read a big section, so bear with me. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all work, uh, <coughs> sorry, do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. I spent a long time telling you that even the lesser giftings were really important. And now Paul says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. <laughs> what the heck, Dan, right? <laughs> what gives? Nothing, nothing, because he's gonna show you a more excellent way. Let's keep reading. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, kind, does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Yes, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. And this is a very familiar passage to us, and I think that some of us have fallen into the trap of thinking this is a bunny trail. It's not. It's not as though chapter 12 and chapter 14, Paul was like, we're gonna talk about spiritual gifts, but hold on a second in the middle of this discussion. I just want to talk about love because it's such a cool thing. That's not it at all. This is the heart, the centerpiece of his whole discussion on spiritual gifts. You'll notice that chapter 12 ends the very same way that chapter 14 starts. Desire the higher gifts. Let's talk about love. And then he spends the entirety of chapter 14 talking about prophecy and tongues, just as two examples. And lifting up prophecy as the higher gift, why? Because it builds up the body. He spent all of chapter 12, well, a large portion of it, we looked at it, talking about how the body needs to build itself up. How each part needs to work for the benefit of another. Each gifting is for the total building up of the church. And the giftings that are higher in God's economy are the ones that most build up God's church. And again, at the centerpiece of this is love. We need to do this all in love. 
This is another section that scares me. <laughs> the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13 scares me because if I'm honest, reading that list makes my mouth water a little bit. If I spoke in every tongue imaginable of men and of angels, but did not have love, I, not my gifting, but me, am nothing but a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I understand all mysteries, and this is really where my mouth starts watering, if I have prophetic powers, if I have faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, I, not the gifting, I am nothing. If I give everything I have to charity, even if it's for the benefit of others, if, I, if I'm giving away everything I have, and I even give myself in martyrdom, but it's not in love, I gain nothing. These are strong, strong words, because when we think about understanding everything, that, that sounds pretty nice. I could do a lot with that. We, we think about speaking in every language. Missionaries should strongly desire that. When we think about martyrdom, those are heroes. Martyrs are heroes. And yet, all of that ends up on the ash heap of eternal insignificance without love. This is the reason. It needs to be our heartbeat to love one another the same way that Christ has loved us. It's the new command, but more than that, it is a mindset that Jesus has given us as part of his body. And if we aren't employing it, that everything else that we've talked about today is worthless. And that's sad because I spent a lot of time on it. <laughs> you, Christian, love one another. Use your gifts, absolutely, but do it in love. By doing this, you build up the church and you glorify Jesus. There was a little bit more that I wanted to cover, but I have run longer than I meant to. So let me, let me skip a little bit. It is because I have seen this kind of love and this kind of use of gifts here at FRAC, amongst you, amongst you guys, and a lot of the people at East. That's part of the reason they win East. <laughs> um, it's because of that that when I, when I think about coming to the church, my heart is filled with joy. When I think about gathering together with you guys, even in an informal setting, I get excited because I need you. You are the body and I am a part of the body and apart from the body, I would die. I need you and you need each other. And when we are all loving one another the way that we have been commanded, when we're all using our gifts for the glory of God and the love of the church and of Christ, we can all come back to this hymn and say, I love your church, O Lord. Her saints before you stand. Dear is the apple of your eye engraven on your hand. Beyond my highest joy, I prize her heavenly ways, her sweet communion, solemn vows, and her hymns of love and praise. And then it wouldn't be so awkward to say those words because we'd know, because we'd experience it, and because it would be true. So allow me to end on this. Just reiterating everything again, because that's what I do. 
God has gifted you in the spirit and is continually conforming you to the image of Jesus who gave himself for our benefit. He has now commanded you and equipped you to give of yourself for the benefit of the church. If you're not sure where to start, if you're not sure where your gifting is, don't ask me, I don't know. But come ask your elders, they should know. Ask the Holy Spirit, beg him to show you, give you wisdom on how you can do this because you've become convinced that this is what you need to do. We need you and you need us. Beloved, let us seek to fulfill our part in the body. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for not saving us into a void, but saving us into a family, saving us into a body. Some of us, uh, prior to coming to Christ, we felt worthless and we, in a lot of ways, were. Thank you for giving us worth by attaching us to Jesus. Lord, thank you for giving us gifting so that we can actually do something to say thank you for Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would make it clear to us what our giftings are individually and that you would so convict our hearts with the love of Jesus and the love of the church that we would use them in a way that doesn't lead to bitterness, but leads to the joy. Father, I pray that this would not just be something that we do today or this week, but this would be part of the lifeblood here at FRAC, that people understand who they are in you and what they are supposed to do, and then focus on others the same way that Jesus has commanded us to. And Lord, it is for your glory for the sake of your church that we pray. Amen. We're not going to do a last song today because I want you guys to try and take this time to love one another. Also, we had trouble finding a song, as I mentioned. (laughs) So allow me to dismiss you. Now to him who gave himself to buy us back from sin and death, to him who has gifted each of us as part of the body, and indeed to him who has made us who we are in him. To him be all glory, dominion, and power forever. Amen? May God empower us and convict us to use our gifts. You are dismissed to go show the world the love of Christ.